Iconia was king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away. When was that? I mean, there were three deportations, is that right? Of the Jews from Jerusalem. So when was when was he taken away? And then when does uh, how does when does this relate to the fall of, of Babylon with uh, Darius, with Darius? And then when is Cyrus? And when do they go back? Ezra and Nehemiah. So could you just put it in context historically? Yes. Of all those events. Yes. Give a chronology yeah, give of a what's chronology. going going on here. All right. The the Babylonians, they had three main invasions and uh, deportations of the Jewish people. The first one, and, and the dates are off by a year, depends on the scholar. Uh, 606 or 605 B.C. was the first one. That's when Daniel the prophet was exiled. And that's when the, that, that, the king at that time, um, he was uh, King uh, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Who's and was the king of Judah? King of Judah. Who was the king of was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at that time, and he's the one that conducted that deportation. He's the one that did them all, actually. And so that was 605 B.C. And Daniel the prophet suffered there, Daniel chapter one, and as well Jehoiakim, Second uh, Kings chapter 24. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, he was deposed at that time. Then, the second one was in 598 or 597 B.C. 98 or 97 B.C. At this time, Ezekiel the prophet, Ezekiel chapter 1, and as well, King Jehoiakim, whose last, uh, the last few letters is spelled C-H-I-N. Jehoiakim, his name in chapter 2 verse 6 is Jeconiah. Chapter 2, verse 6. So, Jeconiah and Jehoiakim, that refers to the same king. Some of the kings have two or three or four names. Uh, not just in Israel and Judah, but other kingdoms. Sometimes kings have more than one name. Even in their own culture, in their own realm, they're known by different names. And that's what happened here. So, it is Mordecai's ancestor who was taken captive at that time. So this would have been about a hundred years before Mordecai's ancestor had been taken captive about 598 B.C. Okay. So when it says Mordecai, the son of uh, Jair? Yes. Okay, so it's talking about his forefathers had been carried off. Yes, forefathers okay. have been carried off into exile by Babylon. By Babylon. Yes. And then he was born in captivity. He was born in captivity. Okay. Yes. Yeah, likely born. It doesn't tell us explicitly, but it does say that he was a Jew in Susa, the capital. Mm-hmm. He was a Jew in Susa, the capital. Right. And it would be, he'd be really, really old if he had been born in Jerusalem. Yes. And carried off by the time these events happened. Yes. Yeah, if he had been born... In the time of the 598 captivity, he would have been 110 years old by the time that Ahasuerus became king of Persia. And that's not what is meant there. The, the who or the whom of verse 6. Uh, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. The whom has to be a reference to Kish. 
to Kish. Kish, whose son was Shimei, whose son was Jair, whose son was Mordecai. And that would give plenty of time, ample time, for Mordecai to be born in captivity and not be 110 years old. Right. Yeah. So Kish was the one taken. Yeah, Kish was the one taken. Then, uh, the third captivity was by Nebuchadnezzar of the Jewish people, of the kingdom of Judah, was in 586 or 587 B.C. 87 or 586 B.C. And that time, the last king of Judah was King Zedekiah. He was the last, the 20th king of Judah. And the prophet who was exiled at that time was Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually was kidnapped. He wasn't really exiled, but he was kidnapped by some of his own people taken from Judah to Egypt. And he finished his oracles there, presumably, in Egypt. Uh, Those are the three captivities. Then, in 539 B.C., 539 B.C., the Persian kingdom, the the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, they they are adjacent uh, people, adjacent nations in modern Iran. That's the locality of the Medo-Persian Empire in that vicinity. So at that time, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire, 539 B.C. A couple of years later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, issued a decree which is recorded in, in Ezra chapter 1, 1 to 4, and in 2 Chronicles 36, 21 to 23, Cyrus issued a decree that the Jewish people, and we also know from something outside the Bible called the Cyrus Cylinder, written in cuneiform script. In the Cyrus Cylinder, we dubbed it the Cyrus Cylinder, it has his decree where he lets all the peoples in his realm return to their native lands, resettle their cities, rebuild their cities and their walls and their temples to their own gods and do as they wish uh, on the king's dollar or on the king's budget from the king's treasury which would be tax money anyways so the king's being generous with tax money and he's giving it back to them and saying you can go back and establish your own communities again well the Jewish decree is listed in Ezra 1, uh, 1, 1-4, and 2 Chronicles 36, 21-23, where he tells the Jewish people that they can return to Jerusalem to rebuild their wall and to rebuild their temple. That's what happened. So some of the Jewish people, under that decree, the decree of Cyrus, returned to Judah. Later it's called Judea under the, the Romans. The, the Judah or the Judea of later times, that's the region of the southern kingdom that had the dynasty of David. So, the, and then the return of the captives. The time of Ezra's return was 458 BC. 458 BC. And the time of Nehemiah's return was 445 to 425 BC. Nehemiah returned a couple of times. And so Nehemiah was after Ezra, and at, at a point they were contemporaries, and contemporaries in Judah, in, in Judea, or as the Persians used to call it, the province of Yehud. The province of Yehud is where Ezra and Nehemiah returned. So the books of Ezra and Nehemiah t- 
take place there at that point. 458 B.C. for Ezra, 445 to 425 B.C. for Nehemiah. The end of the Old Testament is chronologically the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah records the last historical events of the Old Testament period, about 425 B.C. And when did you say the events of Esther take place? In the book of Esther. The book of Esther take place in the reign of King Ahasuerus, king of Persia. In the Hebrew Old Testament, his name is, is translated Ahasuerus. If you, some of you refer to the NIV, use the NIV, the NIV takes the extra-biblical name for Ahasuerus, and nowadays, scholars of all persuasions, they're convinced that the biblical Hebrew text Ahasuerus is the extra-biblical Xerxes, Xerxes I. And that is why the NIV chose to just put Xerxes in the text, even though the Hebrew text doesn't say Xerxes, it says Ahasuerus. They did that because extra-biblical sources say that, and they wanted their readers to know the Xerxes of the Bible is the same Xerxes as outside the Bible. The same Xerxes that, for example, mentioned by Herodotus, a Greek historian. So, that reign was 486 to 465 B.C. 486 to 465. In chapter 1, verse 3, this banquet, it says, took place in the third year of his reign, around 483 or 482 B.C. So that's the first recorded event there. And the time that these events took place in his reign were about 12 years. Anyone else? Uh, I did have one more question. Okay, yeah. Uh, with all the attention uh, to details that the book has, so whoever wrote it would seem to have uh, a lot of access to what was going on, which is why I think what you were saying, Mordecai is a really good fit for that. So with all those attention to detail, the, uh, the specificity, those types of things, um, we would assume then that it's written by a contemporary of the events. So that would be the, the reasonable assumption. So on what basis then would a scholar or a skeptic say that it was written two or three hundred years later? What, on what basis, what evidence would they reject what is reasonable um, and choose what is okay. unreasonable or irrational? Okay, what would a skeptical, unreasonable scholar say? He would say there are a few things. One, in chapter 1, the name of the queen is Vashti. Vashti. And this is perhaps akin to a Persian word uh, for their worship of fire. And, and this may be a word that's similar to a Persian word for fire. But Herodotus, a Greek historian, he says that the queen of Xerxes was Amestris, a different name, A-M-E-S-T-R-I-S, Amestris. He says that was her name. So the 
skeptics say, aha, we trust the Herodotus, and that's the name of the queen, and therefore that queen could not be Vashti, and Herodotus must be right, and the author of Esther must be wrong. They jump to that conclusion without understanding that however long Vashti reigned or, or sat on the throne with the king as queen, as, as, that there could have been other queens after her. And for whatever reason, Herodotus mentions this Amestris. Perhaps she was after Esther. We don't know how long Esther was queen, how long she lived and how long she was queen. Perhaps it was Amestris at another time. Or Amestris could be another name for Vashti. Or another name for Esther. There could be all kinds of other possibilities. They don't want to give any of those other possibilities any credibility because they like to quickly seize on a potential contradiction. Okay. Another reason is in chapter 2, the question that was asked earlier about chapter 2 verse 6, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. They say, whom refers to Mordecai in chapter 2, verse 5. And Mordecai could not have been a hundred, at least 110 years old when King Ahasuerus began his reign. And he could not have been, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years old early in the reign. So he would have been about 120 to 130 years old and that could not have been the case at all. Therefore, the author of the book doesn't know Hebrew well. And the author of the and if it's written in the Greek period, which 100 BC or 200 or 300 BC would have been the Greek period, not the Persian period, we have this bumbling author who doesn't understand Hebrew giving us some misinformation and implying that Mordecai was exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. So that's another reason. Um, an another thing they say is that uh, there's no way that the king of Persia would have married a non-Persian who was outside the circle of the closed families there, there was a handful of families that would have been candidates. The women of those families would have been candidates for queen. It never would have been the case that the king would have chosen a Jewess to marry instead of one of those Persians, Persian women themselves. However, they overlooked the fact that there was an earlier Persian king named Cambyses, 529 to five. 24 or 522 BC. There's a range in his reign too, according to the scholar. When he reigned, he married his own full sister, not one of the as queen, and he not one of the other nobles. He didn't make one of them queen. He made his own full sister, whom he married, the queen. Now, if he could do that going outside of that Persian custom, why can't, he, why can't Ahasuerus marry a Jewess that he likes? He could have easily done that. Um, besides, there are other, other examples 
for example, um, there was a time when scholars used to say quite vociferously that there's no way that Solomon could have married the daughter of Pharaoh. 1 Kings 11 says that. He married the daughter of Pharaoh because the Pharaohs never, ever, never, ever married outside of the kingdom. They never did. Well, then it was discovered that there was a Pharaoh who did that. A Pharaoh did do that. And then, so that lends credibility to the fact that Solomon could have married one of the Pharaoh's daughters like that. So these kinds of things happen. There are exceptions. And we just don't need to come to the Bible with a a skeptical attitude towards it. Fault finding. Just looking for ways to nitpick and overturn the Bible. Uh, What I'd like to do to those skeptics is actually read their own books and articles and show that they are ridiculous, ludicrous, and, and contradictory in their own statements. If they don't want me to treat them that way, they should not treat the Word of God that way. Romans 3, 4. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. Okay. Shall we pray? Our Lord, we thank you for your providence. We thank you that you are at work in the world, though your name is not always mentioned, though your name is not always exalted. Father, we pray that we would have this kind of trust to know that you are to be glorified and honored and exalted, that you'll work out the circumstances and the trials of life for our benefit. You will bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom. You will make us kings and priests. You will cause us to reign over our enemies. And we will praise you and glorify you forever when you make this distinction clearly on the day of judgment. Help us to look forward and to have hope and to press on to do what is true and right in your sight, not in ours and not in the world's and not in the way of the devil, but what is good and right in your sight. In the name of Christ, amen.